This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club and this is your show. Well, I started off this winning run by making comments in the introduction of each Blue Moon podcast about how nice it was to see City playing well. Each week I'd ramp it up a little bit more, but now I'm running out of places to go. There's only so many ways you can say it's been another damn good week as the team make it 19 wins in a row. The Premier League pitcher is still looking good while a 2-0 success in Hungary against Borussia Mönchengladbach has put Pep Guardiola's side into a commanding position in the Champions League. In this strange and unpredictable season, City have become consistent and predictable. So on this week's show, we're going to focus on some of the key players of the winning run. Plus we'll hear from former City defender Neda Manua about why the defence is looking so imperious, Howard Hawkins back and we'll preview the coming matches with West Ham and Wolves as well. I'm David Mooney, joining me for this one is One Football's Dan Burke. Hello. And City fan Ash Barker. Hello. Uh, Ash, welcome to the show. First time uh, first time we've had you on. Um, how are you feeling about this season already? It's uh, it, It's done a complete 180 in terms of how it started to how it's going now. Yeah, I have been, I mean, I think for a lot of City fans, like over the past like few weeks, I mean, since January, I have been feeling really good about the team. I think we started off a little bit rocky and like, I mean, that's to be said, like we're in a really difficult time, like we're in COVID, like not expecting the team to like really be perfect when we started off. Um, But the fact that we have really just like turned the entire season um, on its head has been just it's been really exciting to watch really yeah well let's I mean looking at the last two games Ash like in both games mm-hmm. all the way through we were going oh well you know it's only it's only a tight lead if you know all it takes is Arsenal or Gladbach a deflection mm-hmm. and suddenly everything's turned on its head but the truth is neither side ever looked any like ever getting near City's goal did they yeah no not at all and I think like when you said that it made me think of like how like I would get super nervous whenever like I see a team that's like would get ready to like be on a counter attack and like because there's some type of mistake that city has made in that back um in the back and recently just watching the games like from our midfield up like to our defenders like there's just they've been so tight in the way that they are just not allowing um the opposite team to like really get on the ball and if they're allowing them to get on the ball like they like snap back so quickly to win that ball back i know like we talked like a lot of city fans like we noticed them. we talked about that like with um with the 2017-18 team like how quick city was to like get back and like press the ball like it's the same thing here that they're doing but for some reason it's more intense than what it was about like two three seasons ago yeah i was gonna say dan have you noticed anything that city have changed in order to kind of get a little bit more control of these games because they they are it feels like they're in so much more control now than they were even when they got 100 points that year as ash said yeah, I think it's, it's it's a combination of really good pressing and really good possession play. Like maybe in the past, I think the possession has been decent, but the pressing's been off, or vice versa. But I think they're just operating on a, on like a really high level in all departments at the moment. And I think the off the ball movement is probably as good as it's ever been under Guardiola, and the opposition just can't get near us at times. And I think I think a good defence spreads confidence throughout the whole team. You know, it must make you a bit calmer in front of goal if you know that you absolutely don't have to score uh, all of your 
chances because, you know, nine times out of the ten, the defence and the goalkeeper is going to keep a clean sheet at the other end and we might only need one goal to win a game. And I think confidence is probably the best word to describe City at the moment. You watch them on the pitch and they look a bit taller and stronger than their opponents. You know, they're playing with a chest puffed out. And, and I think with all great teams, there's, there's kind of an element of their opponents being beaten before they've even stepped onto the pitch. You know, can, can you imagine having to play City at the moment knowing they've won 19 games in a row, they've kept 13 <laughs> clean sheets in that time? You'd be scared to death, wouldn't you? Yeah. And, and I think what, one final point on this is that I think the empty stadiums have, have been really beneficial to City. Not that, because we're used to playing in front of, you know, low crowds, as, yeah. as, as people might like to say. None of that. Yeah. I think it's more like the City don't have to worry about external influences like a hostile crowd when they go away from home now. The games are being played under kind of laboratory conditions and I think it suits City because all they have to worry about now is going on the pitch and being the better football team and almost all the time they will be better than whoever they come up against. Yeah, mm-hmm. Ash, um, I mean, you, you, the stat that was mentioned uh, certainly in the uh, in the British coverage of, uh, of the Gladbach game <laughs> was that it was, uh, it was over two hours. Uh, when Edison made that save right at the end, it was over two hours since he'd had to save a shot in the Champions League of, of uh, football play and that just it just illustrates they're not giving chances up they're not even giving the opposition like the chance to touch the ball in their own box you know what I mean oh my goodness yes I was literally thinking about that and I think what yesterday the first chance they had was with what with that Rodri I think that that little mishap at the back and then like you saw how like angry Ederson was and like he even <laughs> had um and Diaz um, as well. Like I absolutely think, like at the back, like they have been really given um, uh, attackers no chances to get near the box or e- to even think about getting into that box. It has to do with their mentality um, and this confidence that they have. I don't think I've ever seen um, our city, the our city defense, look this confident on the ball before, even without the ball. And I think a lot of that really, um, we've been giving a lot of credit to Diaz, at, um, to Diaz as we should, um, because he's really helped transform like that back line and the way that we defend and the way um, that we play and the way that we press. So um, I'm just really happy to see that. Absolutely. Uh, Dan, you mentioned uh, that it's uh, the 19 wins in a row at this point. Um, Guardiola was asked in the post-match press conference uh, what the reason was for that. Here's, here's what he said. We have a lot of money to buy a lot of incredible players. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Short and sweet, Dan. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it, isn't it, really? I mean, obviously, he's being sarcastic there. Obviously, there's an element of truth to that as well. You know, I think I don't think anyone's under any illusions about one of the reasons that City are so good is because they have a good squad and a good squad costs a lot of money and, we, and we've we've spent money uh, well, you know, by and large, you know, since the, since the very beginning of the, of the takeover, I think City have spent money well to get, get to where they are. Um, but Guardiola is also hitting at the fact that, you know, there's a lot of criticism that gets directed at City about the money they spend. And it's not just that, is it? There's, there's so much more to it than that. There's so much more that is, makes this team as good as it is. And uh, I think the thing that he perhaps finds frustrating is the same thing that I I find frustrating is that you know when City do well when City are winning it's like oh well they've spent money of course that's going to happen and when other teams do well it doesn't really sort of work like that they don't that they it, it, it surely sort of has to has to work both ways if when City do well is it because is it uh, when City do badly? Sorry, is it because they've they've not spent money well? Or I, I don't really understand what the sort of counterpoint to it is. Yeah. It just there, there never is one offered, is there? It's just not. It's just forgotten about. Yeah, it's it's frustrating because I, I always comes back to the idea that um, anybody could do it with that with the checkbook that City have got, and like we're not going to sit here and say, well, the money that City spent have had has had no influence whatsoever. It of course has had a big influence, but you've got to coach these players to do what what, what they're doing. You can't you can't mm-hmm. just throw money at the problem 
problem and expect it to work. Otherwise, you know, Roberto Mancini, Mark Hughes, Manuel Pellegrini would all have had teams that scored 100 points in the in, in the mm. league, wouldn't they, Ash? Yeah, absolutely. And um, I absolutely agree with what Dan said as well. It's like, if you have the money, right, like if you bring in really good players, like you're going to expect them to perform well. But what's going to take for them to what is going to take for them to perform well is the coach that you have, the manager that you have. And for City, it's like, yeah, we have these players and they've cost money, but at the end of the day, the money that they've cost, it's been worth it, right? Like we are seeing the performance that they have, right? Like we think about um, Cancelo and like how much like people talked about how much we um, we bought him for um, when he came in with us last season. And now look, and now look, the conversations that we're having about him, about how he's one of the best fullbacks in the world. Like we don't know um, what exactly his role is because he's dominating all over the pitch, right? So like if you have these players and they cost a lot of money, we're going to expect for them to perform. But the way that they're going to perform and how they're going to perform so well has to do with the person behind them that's coaching them, the person that's managing them um, there. Yeah, absolutely. There's uh, Dan, we touched on it, 19 wins in a row. Uh, that's 26 games unbeaten. Uh, it's a new top flight record for consecutive away wins in all competitions as well now, 12. City have, uh, have, have broken their own record there. Uh, you mentioned to me earlier that they've got, they, they should have eyes on another one. Well, yeah. So the the world, the Guinness World Record for uh, most wins, consecutive wins. Um, I actually tweeted about it earlier. I got it wrong. Someone corrected me in the replies. The actual record is held by our old friends TNS. Uh, they won twenty seven games in a row, I believe it was, um, in twenty seventeen. Um, so. If we want to do that, we need to beat West Ham, Wolves, United, Southampton, Fulham, Gladbach, Everton, Leicester and Leeds in our next eight games, which, you know, is not beyond the realms of possibility, is it? Um, if we do get that record, then, I mean, that, that's just the record for the men's game. For the women's game, the record is uh, 41 wins in a row, which was uh, set by Lyon's women's team in 2013. So if we want to be declared the greatest team of all time, there's quite a way to go there. But, uh, <laughs> but I think I think the men's record is definitely within our sights now, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of glad in that sense that they uh, only, in inverted commas, beat uh, Gladbach 2-0 now. Because if, if it had finished like 4-0, 5-0, then there's a chance that that second leg couldn't suddenly becomes the one where they uh, where, where they don't do it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, very true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right. So Ash, you mentioned him uh, a few minutes ago. Uh, Joe Cancelo. Uh, let's look at some of the individual performance for uh, this winning run that City have been on, and, and and he's been a big part of it. Uh, we've talked about him recently, but not really gone into too much depth. Uh, Guardiola was asked after the Gladbach game what uh, kind of what he's providing for the team. Um, I'm not really sure I understand, but let's let, let's see if if uh, this can shed any light on it. He's playing really really well. So sometimes in that position, has to control the risk when he loses the ball because it's different when you play wide. But in the same times, the quality that he plays there, and especially when he drives with the ball and and overcome the half line and can drive to the central defender, is a player with a with a with a huge quality. Physicality is overwhelming. In terms of tomorrow, we should play another game. He will be ready to play. And of course, today with the two assets uh, in the final third was brilliant from Bernardo. And after, yeah, two brilliant, two two beautiful goals. He has to discriminate. Oh, sometimes, always he wanna he wanna do uh, these kind of passes. In these passes, uh, we try to convince him in this position. We knew that the the chance arrived for himself. So, and after that, of course, when he has that feeling to put the ball, you have to be the quality to put that ball. And he did it perfectly. Get involved with the debate on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. 
clear as mud for me there. Don't really, still don't understand what his position is. Uh, so can you shed any light, Ash? What's it? What's he doing? Why is it working? Oh my goodness! I like I've been thinking a lot about that, and I genuinely, I really don't know what his position is because, like, um, he has no. One of the things I've noticed about him is that he has no problem strolling into that mid, um, into that midfield um, at all. Um, as opposed to like Walker, like who we know, like will drive that ball up, um, up on that right hand side and he will like try to get, you know, get it, um, through, get it to the, um, through the byline and everything. But for Cancelo, like he does, like he can do that, but then he also like really has no problem, like going into that mid, um, going into that midfield, taking on those defenders, um, there and are, and getting the ball, um, up. And so I feel like for him, it's like he really is given the freedom to like move, um, move about the pitch, like as he sees fit. Um, and when he's doing that, like he's linking up a lot with Bernard, um, he's linking up a lot with Bernardo, right? Like we saw him, like he assisted Bernardo's goal. He pre-assisted Bernardo's assist to Gabby's, um, <laughs> to Gabby's goal. And then he even had a couple of shots, um, himself. And so I think for him, it's the fact that like he's just been given, a lot more freedom like with that left back role to like really do um what it is that like he like what he needs to do um and so like i really don't know what he's doing it's like another pep masterclass there um but i think like he just i think it all comes down to how much freedom he has um to move around in the role that he's um that he's playing it, it doesn't seem to matter dan if he starts on the right or the left either no, not really. No, I mean, I, I personally prefer him on the right because I think he just seems a little bit more comfortable there and a bit more sure of his role on that side. But I also want Walker to get game time, so I don't mind him play uh, Cancelo playing left back too much either. I mean, he, he's comfortable on both feet, which is such a useful weapon to have. Um, and I, I think there's like there's two things going on with Cancelo. When City are in possession, he, he comes and plays inside, and and not only is he intelligent and, and and technical player who's really comfortable on the ball in tight tight spaces, but but he's like a, he's quite a disruptive influence who who helps to kind of overwhelm. The opposition midfield it doesn't seem like opposition players are sure like who should be picking him up and and that moment's confusion can allow him to play a nice pass or it creates space for teammates somewhere else on the pitch and I think the other the other aspect is, uh, of what he's doing is when City aren't in possession and um, shout out to Cameron Herbert on Twitter for explaining this really well with a graphic a few weeks ago like when City don't have the ball you'll often see Cancelo stepping inside and playing alongside Rodri in defensive midfield which creates that kind of double pivot that Pep is so fond of and I think that's really helped Rodri recently and it stopped him getting quite so isolated in midfield and also um, freed up Gundogan to play further up the pitch and I think like great credit is due to Cancelo for being brilliant this season and proving a lot of people wrong myself included because I I didn't think he, he was that good last season but credit also to Guardiola and the coaching staff for, for this idea that they've had and I, I think it's actually pretty groundbreaking what City have done I don't I don't really see anything quite like this elsewhere in the world at the moment and I think it's almost like a um, I think a football hack like <laughs> I, I, I could see it, I could see it becoming a bit of a trend and other, other clubs trying to copy what City are doing because because the sort of fullback role has almost been redefined a little bit Dan, when you just said that, I also thought about um, Zinjenko as well. And when him and Cancelo, like when him and Cancelo plays, when Zinjenko's yeah. at the left and um, Cancelo's at the right, you never see both of them going like both like pressing forward at the same time, right? Like you have either Cancelo waiting, dropping back, just like you said, with that pivot roll near Rodri, or you have Zinni going forward then, or you have Zinni staying back and you have Cancelo going, uh, going forward. And sometimes they'll even switch. Um, and so I think absolutely it's that 
it doesn't matter like where he plays um it's just really about like how he's playing in those positions and at the end of the day like he's really going in and causing trouble like for the opposition like when you really wouldn't expect like a fullback to be doing as much as he's doing yeah, Dan. I know you cover um, some of the uh, when you, in your job you work you you cover other leagues and in, in other places. Well, I'm ch- generally quite focused on City. Um, have you seen much of the power of uh, of him and uh, Bernardo Silva playing for Portugal? Do they do the same sort of link up? I haven't seen them play for Portugal that much, to be honest with you. I would imagine they probably do, though. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, let's let's move on to Bernardo Silva. Um, again, we touched on him uh, in uh, last week, but not in too much depth. What do you think, Dan, has changed for him this season? Um, I, I think I think his role is perhaps a bit more clearly defined than it's ever been at City right now. I think when he first came, he was kind of competing with De Bruyne and, and David Silva for those two number eight positions. And then there were times where he'd, he'd get shunted out to the right flank and then, then he had to compete with Mares when he came for that spot. And now David Silva's gone, De Bruyne's been injured and I think Bernardo has been given a chance to really stake a claim for one of those central midfield spots. And, you know, fair play to him, he's grabbed it with both hands. I think the incident with Mendy last season definitely knocked his confidence a bit, but now he's like scoring goals. He's, he's looking like a really world-class player again to me and I think he's he's actually better he's, he's probably in better form now than he was in 1819 when he won the player of the year I think Sam Roscoe's here everyone hi Sam hello mate how are you doing you're right I'm not too bad thanks uh, how are things going top of the league yeah uh great great time at the minute Com- it's, it's completely different as well to like the start of the season when you think back to I remember feeling really doom and gloom about the season thinking you know what let's just forget about it it's there's no chance you know this this they can do it but um yeah fantastic what a, what a run of games they've put together and and it's really turned it around and it's so pleasing to see how relentless they are and other teams just can't can't compete yeah, fantastic to see indeed. Uh, we said last time you were on as well that, uh, as th- as we've said now, things were going pretty well. Uh, things are going even better for you right now because you've got cater-free beer, haven't you? <laughs> yes, I certainly have, which uh, I'm, I'm very much enjoying. Yeah, uh, you can also get a free case of eight craft beers from Beer52. Just go to beer52.com forward slash blue. That's beer52.com forward slash B-L-U-E and cover the postage of just £5.95. Uh, what beers have you got there, Sam? Uh, are you going gonna to taste one for us now? Yeah, certainly. So obviously you get like a, a selection in the... Um, I've got the craft beer discovery box at the minute which is is really cool because i'll be totally honest with you you know craft beer isn't massively my thing i like um i do like the occasion craft beer so i think it's great for me to be able to have like these different selections in because i i go into the supermarket and i don't have a clue what i'm you know what i'm what i'm going what i'm going for like looking at when it comes to craft beers and stuff like that so it's great to have a um a collection that i can try and see what i like they're all different so it's really good the first one i've picked out is um, a tiny rebel and it's called electric boogaloo now this is a um, a passion fruit um beer which I, I really love passion fruit i like a cocktail and a passion fruit cocktail is always my sort of thing so i'm not too sure what it's gonna be like with a, a beer but i'll give it a try oh go on then crack it open let's uh, let's let's get you having a taste of it mm, it's really sharp it's quite subtle though at the same time but it's yeah really good and it's i can imagine like on a on a hot summer's day really cold that would taste very very nice indeed which it, it does um yeah it's again like i say you know craft beer i'm not massively into and i, I wouldn't have necessarily picked up a passion fruit beer but 
That's really good. There we go. Uh, right, well, Beer 52 is the world's largest beer club with over 175,000 active members. Each month, members are sent a case with a different theme. Uh, we've been through your case at the minute, Sam. What, what else is in there, just for uh, just for reference? Oh, there's absolutely all sorts. You get a, there's a magazine in here as well, which is really good. Um, you know, with all sorts of like uh, craft lagers and information, etc. All all on the craft beer stuff in this magazine. Really interesting. Uh, and also, you get a little snack as well, which is pretty cute. So you'll get those as well. Uh, if you don't like dark beers, then you can choose the light option as well, uh, and you can pause and cancel at any time. So, uh, Sam, what's the verdict? Very good. And like I said, really good because there's a selection of, of different craft beers available, you know, a selection of different beers. Um, and I'm not one to, to really go for craft beers. So this is this is great for me. I can uh, have a selection and, and see which ones I like. Lovely stuff. Glad you've in, uh, you've enjoyed your free beer. To get your case of eight free beers, just go to beer52.com forward slash blue and cover the postage of £5.95. That's beer52.com forward slash B-L-U-E. It's almost hard to say at the moment, given how well City have been playing, but you'd have to say Bernardo Silva's one of those that's in the category of first name on the team sheet, don't you? Yes, absolutely. And I think the fact that, um, the fact now, like, I think he's, like, playing more centrally um, here, like, this season now, like, now that we have, we're rotating, and also, like, we had, like, Kevin, he's been out for a while, and then um, Gundo, like, got hit unfortunately like with that injury he's been out but now he's back um and so I definitely think that like he's been playing a lot more centrally so like that's really just been giving him that chance to like really flourish um and so but he's definitely been playing I think better than he has been um in the past couple of seasons and his confidence is definitely absolutely back you can really see that especially in the last couple of games um with him and just how he's been getting behind um players but then also just how much he's been looking for his other um other city players to like get them that ball um and everything yeah, well, he uh, he scored with his head on uh, Wednesday night as one of the shortest players on the pitch. Uh, it's it's two headers uh, from the shortest players in the pitch in a week, uh, with obviously Sterling uh, with the winner against Arsenal. Um, Guardiola was asked about uh, his heading ability. This is what this is what he had to say. Yeah, he's he's really good in the header. He's really good. I saw in the training session. So has the because uh, when you you kick or you make an action for the header, he has to use your body, not just the head. And uh, he used perfectly the neck and the body. He's, he's a strong. He, he's a good header, honestly. I know it. And the goal was fantastic, how the way he finished it. And especially with attacking midfielder arrived to the box. Attacking midfielder had to arrive. And Bernardo and Guto, they have this special quality. Please support the show by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Dan, he, he said something right at the end there that um i you know we, we I, I he didn't really kind of expand on it but it's it, it is about one thing that that both Gundogan and Bernardo Silva have got perfectly at the moment it's the knowledge of when they need to get into the box yeah it's about the timing of of the of the runs and stuff isn't it yeah i think that's that's been really uh, really beneficial to city like i think well i think with bernardo like you're always guaranteed great energy from him aren't you he always pretty much outruns everyone else on the pitch and he always puts a shift in for the team and that's a great asset to have and of course he's a, he's a creative player as well he can pick a pass he can find the corners with shots from range and you know he's even chipping in with headers now as well so that's <laughs> that's great to see i think what we're seeing from him this season is a willingness to dribble a bit more proactively as well and i suspect that's something that he's been encouraged to do a lot more 
more by Guardiola. I think in the past, City have sometimes struggled against these type of low blocks because they've been kind of unable to pass through the lines and what you often end up with a lot of aimless sideways passing, which might end up with a, a needless dink into the top straight through to the goalkeeper or something like that. But with Bernardo, with Gundogan and, and with Foden as well, I think you're now seeing players who can actually dribble through the lines and take it past their opponents. And, and often all it takes is for Bernardo to, to beat his marker in midfield with the ball and then suddenly City are bearing down on goal and they've got four on three or five on four. And, that, and that's what he is, I think. I think if, if Kevin De Bruyne is like the key to unlock the door, Bernardo is the locksmith you call when you've lost your key, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's such a good analogy. And it, it, made, it flicked a switch in my head as well because I think against Arsenal, he turned his man on the halfway line and suddenly City were away. And I think that's, exactly, the, sort, yeah. that's the sort of thing, isn't it? Um, yeah. uh, Guardiola also mentioned something else there, Ash, that I'd never really thought of about Bernardo Silva. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a lot stronger than he looks. Yeah, he is. I have never... Now that I'm thinking about it and I'm looking back, like, I don't, I can't remember, at least, like, now I think I'm going to have to, like, go back and rewatch, like, highlights, a game, like, where he's, like, getting knocked, um, knocked off the ball. I think also, like, a couple of seasons, um, who, I think it might have been Guardiola or someone, Pep or someone else had said that, um, defenders like they're they're scared to like take him on because of how well he dribbles like I personally think Bernardo's one of our best dribblers um that we have on the team and like they're so like they're nervous to like go in and like take him on because one like he is going to get past them like he is going to trick them and he is like going to like have them foul him or, or like the case so they don't do that a lot but like I never really thought like the fact that it's like just how strong he is. Like I've never like added that into the, um, into it. I've just like always, uh, associated with the fact that he's just very agile, um, as well. But I think the fact that he is a strong player and like, he does have that a lot of strength, like that does definitely, um, add to it as well. And now I'm like, Oh my goodness, I have to like, go back and watch and see like, Oh, does he actually get knock off the ball as much? Um, at, or at all and everything. So like the, I didn't I didn't think about that before. Yeah, uh, we're going to have to talk about Gabriel Jesus then. Um, he got mm. himself on the score sheet against Gladbach, but there was that one on one before it. Um, what, what what do we say? Yeah, I have a bit of sympathy for him there because it was on his left foot, wasn't it? And I think if he'd, if he'd had a split second longer to sort his feet out, he might have scored there. But at the same time, it comes back to this thing, like I think a better player probably wouldn't need that split second. I think peak Sergio Aguero probably scores there. Erling Haaland scores there. Kylian Mbappe scores there. And unfortunately, that's who Jesus is, is competing with. And I don't think he's just, I just don't think he's shown himself to be reliable enough during his time at City consistently enough. Like, and, and also the argument in favour of Jesus has always been, well, it's been hard for him playing second fiddle to Aguero, who's the best striker in the club's history. But Aguero's barely played this season and Jesus mm-hmm. still hasn't stepped up. And I actually saw the team sheet for the Arsenal game at the weekend and I was glad Jesus wasn't playing. And it, not because I don't rate him necessarily, but because I just think we're better off without him at the moment. I think we, we play better without a striker, which is something I would never have said a couple of months ago. Um, but yeah, it's, it's as simple as that, I think. I just don't think he really sort of is reliable. Yeah. That said, though, Ash, the goal the goals did seem to pick his performance up. Once he got on the end of that uh, uh, of that header down, you know, and, and he obviously poked it into the net, he, see, he almost gave him that boost that he needed. Yeah, I think I think Gabby is definitely one of those players, like, where their performance, like, really relies on whether or not, like, he's able to, like, get that goal. Like, how many times in the past, like, we've seen him, like, miss goals like that and other ones that are, like, closer to the net as well. And, like, we see how, like, he reacts, you know, viscerally like to like the missing like of that goal and so I think for him he's definitely one of those players like where his form 
and his confidence in what he's able to do on the pitch really relies on like can he get a goal um but like i do agree with them like he is right now like, he is like that inconsistent player um for us like i like not gonna lie like when he like got up and like, i was like oh my goodness like gabby you have two options you can either take the shot or you'll miss or you won't take it and you'll miss it and what does he do he um he does the second um he does the second one of it and i think like his performance like it did pick up because he got the goal but like he's definitely one of those players like if he doesn't get it like you can see like how his like performance like a little bit starts to decline throughout the game and then if he gets it or like he assists someone to get um to get their goal like it starts to like pick back up a bit but he's definitely that um that player like where his performance and his game like really relies on like am i able to get a goal during this game you know yeah uh that said though ash uh sergio aguero came off the bench uh how did you feel when you realized that you were going to see sergio aguero in a city shirt in the first team <laughs> actually on the pitch it felt like christmas all over again <laughs> I, I could not i could not um stop smiling first because i didn't actually see um when they held up the board to like show that his number was coming on. I actually thought that Pep was taken off um, Gabby. And I was like, oh, we're playing without a striker now. This is going to be fun. Um, and then I saw that, oh, no, Aguero's coming on. And I could not stop smiling. Like, I am just so happy to have him back. Like, even if it was like for those couple of minutes. Like, and also like when he was back, like he just looked really sharp as well and just like how much like he was on the ball like the movements that he was making like i think one of my favorite ones was when it was like a couple of minutes like into the game when he was on the touch line and like he was literally like got past like two three um glad back pairs like and still like keeping the ball in play and then i mean it kind of like went out afterwards but the fact that he came back and he like just like really just is on like he just looked really good really solid like that just made me so um happy to see um and i'm just happy that he's back yeah uh, dan is it uh, what what role does he have between now and the end of the season because obviously you know 15 20 minutes at the end of a game where city are leading 2-0 is different to a game where they're chasing a goal and they're desperate to get the win do you know what i mean yeah before i answer that could i just say um i felt really sad to see the the end of his peroxide blonde hair actually <laughs> I, I, I know that his, his natural hair colour doesn't look right anymore to me. He looks like he looks weird, don't you think? I, I hadn't. I had I genuinely not thought about it. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I will agree with you. I agree with you. It absolutely does because I'm not. I was taken back. I was like, wait, where, where's where's the silver? Where, where's it at? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bring, bring it back. Um, so hopefully he kind of like you know he spices it up before the end of the season. Hope again. so. Yeah. yeah I, I'm yeah. not going to lie. He looks good whatever his hair's like. So I, I'm not going to. I'm not going to knock the man for choosing to do something different. You know. That's true. That's true. But but yeah. I mean it, yeah. It, I, I, it was nice seeing back because I love him for what he's done for City. But I didn't like. I didn't really feel a sense of relief. And that's no reflection on him because I think it's just because we so we played so well without him that there's. Been not like a real like oh we need to get him back on the pitch as soon as possible it's been okay well let's just take our time and wait until he's fully fit and you know back from uh, uh injury and illness um but you know he could he could have a role to play uh in in, in the coming weeks um I, I would love it if he stayed fit until the end of the season found some goal scoring form earned himself a new contract and you know if we're, if we're going for all four trophies then there might come a time when we have to rotate a bit more than we are at the moment and we really need him to step up so uh so yeah let's let's hope he uh, he, he starts chipping with some goals 
Yeah, well, uh, we mentioned it before about the defence. Uh, two games into this season, it looked like City's defensive woes from last year were still going to be a problem. Uh, but now, with two-thirds of the season gone, there's been a complete turnaround. In fact, City have conceded more than once in just two matches all campaign. That was Leicester and Tottenham. And Edison has 15 clean sheets in the Premier League. That's just one behind the total that he won the Golden Gloves with last season. To talk about how the defensive setup has changed, I've been speaking to former City centre-back Neda Manua. Yeah, it's, um, it's certainly a step up. It's certainly a step up. But I think like, we can talk about the defence just as a back four or, say, a Diaz, Stones and so on. But it's the collective. And I think collectively they are doing a lot better say, than they had done in the past because some things which were maybe perceived weaknesses amongst the team in terms of being caught on the break and making mistakes and so on. I think everybody's basically cleaned up their act. And when was the last time you really saw City being opened up on the break by anyone? You know, you're looking back a long way and some of that's to do with maybe some of the way that Pep's left always leaves three defenders back or he likes to have a six in there as well. But then also the desire of everybody to get back. And I think that when put all together is, I think, a huge reason why defensively they've been so strong this year. Yeah, it's, I mean, the crazy thing is is uh, you look at, at how last season sort of fell apart when Aymeric Laporte wasn't there and, and suddenly he's you know he's in a position where he's got two defenders ahead of him who are just playing so well. Do you know what? You, it's funny you say that because you do say ahead of him, but I don't think it's always a guarantee that they're ahead because I think for Pep, I think it's almost horses for courses and he's got certain ideas and certain strategies on certain days. And I think there was a point where Diaz, Stones and Laporte were all playing together and it did look very, very solid. So I wouldn't necessarily say that he's, you know, not going to be first in line. But I think for for now, whatever he wants to go with, say Zinchenko and a Cancelo, then yeah, maybe he's behind. But that's not something that happens on a week-to-week basis. So I think for spells where he likes to have Cancelo just be more bombing forward and then he wants to have three solid centre-backs back there, you know, you go with those three. And to be honest, I'd argue it's probably the best three in the league. Have you noticed they've changed any way they've been defending over the last few months? I mean, one thing I've, I've thought of is maybe that high line is not as high as it used to be. Um, possibly, possibly. I think that stuff does play into it. But I think um, the way that City play, up until recently anyway, it's been, it's been quite nuanced in the fact that you would tend to have three defenders in the back four who are responsible for defending as the primary objective. I think in the past, say, the way that they, maybe when the team was struggling more, they'd have two centre-backs and two sixes, but now they tend to go for just one six. And with that, they, up, as I say, up until maybe the last week or so, they'd have three centre-back, three defenders in there, whether it be Laporte, Laporte, Stones, Diaz, Walker, Diaz, Stones. You know, there'll be three people like that who basically are always going to be there whenever there's a moment to defend, even if City have had the ball maybe just moments before. So as a consequence, I think they're far less open. And to add to that, the six doesn't really go and get to the edge of the box or anything like this. So they've always got bodies back. And when you have bodies back, I think as a defender, you can be more confident because you can go and try and attempt to win a duel instead of having to drop off to worry that somebody might do you and then they're going to be running through on goal. Because nowadays for them, if you make a mistake or if you you lose a battle, there's somebody right there behind you. But that doesn't put you off for the next time because you know next time you can go and win it and you still have the added security there. And it's amazing how that can almost change your mentality when you're on the field, when you know you have support. So as I say, from the defensive standpoint, I think the way that he's, I think Pepper's set that up, I think it suits them defensively, but then it also suits them in attack because they spread the, they spread the field out as well as the three, in, in the three. 
and it provides lots of options for people around the field. It's not a case of people, one or two players not being able to get access to the ball and so on. Now he's got three good ball playing centre backs who are all there to defend, but they can actually start most of the attacks. Yeah, what uh, what what do you make of Rodri as well? Because he's last season he was somebody who uh, a lot of people were saying was struggling in this side. Certainly, in the last few months he's he's looked so much more settled and so much more able to to kind of accept the ball off the defenders and and, and kind of play with his back to the opposition's goal, facing his own goal, sort of thing. Yeah, that that role of the six, I think it suits a Fernandinho, and I think it does suit Rodri because those are players who have got a big personality in terms of wanting to get on the ball. Because when they when City start their attacks, the vast majority of them will start with people in the back line having most of the touches and most of the passes. And then you need a link to get you higher up the field. And if you have a six who, say, wants to hide behind people and not receive the ball, then ultimately the eights that are meant to be playing on the team won't get a lot of, a lot of the ball and they'll start coming back. But that role is being done exceptionally well by Fernandinho, has been done exceptionally well by Rodri. Because as I say, they always want the ball and they always want to be in the right position to receive the ball. And they're always looking, whenever possible, to play the ball forward so that the attacks can have an injection of speed. I think if I was playing in the defensive line for City and you know you didn't have somebody there that was constantly looking for the ball, you start forcing it. You start trying to play the longer ball, start trying to play you know through balls, through midfielders and so on. And that doesn't necessarily suit the defenders who are back there. But when you have a six like Rodri, who is obviously very, very comfortable on the ball, but comfortable on the ball, all the time and wants it all the time you know that's essentially in my opinion what makes them what makes them exception, exceptional yeah i it's uh, just looking at, at uh, the improvement that city have made certainly since uh, diaz has arrived as well is it is it the case that sometimes in like all you need is is one new fresh face to come in and and kind of settle everything down and suddenly you know a group of players can refine the form that they used to have um I think I think one player coming in does does add value, but I wouldn't necessarily say it was solely down to him because I think, as I say, they tactically they changed things a little bit. And Pep said himself he started to go back to the basics again, and he's trying to teach them more about how you run without the ball, without the ball. But when you when you've got the ball, you know you need to be in the right positions and so on. And I think they've they've really nailed that and they've really understood tactically what their jobs are. I think at times in the past, maybe they were a bit confused about where to go and it wasn't necessarily bringing, bringing results for them. So maybe there was a bit of doubt, but now it's unequivocal. You know exactly how they're going to be playing on a week-to-week basis. And obviously having the talent on the field in attack and in defence like with someone like Diaz is, is terrific. But that team there at the minute, they're essentially a simulation. They go out, they know exactly what to do. I think John Stone said it himself recently as well. He could be. He knows. He could close. He could close his eyes and know where he's going to be passing the ball and know who's going to be there. And that, you know, for as much as the individual talent is a thing, that is through team understanding of the structure in terms of tactics and the mentality and, and repetition, basically. So Diaz has come in and he's added that element of, you know, somebody that wants to win their duels, somebody that wants to do everything they can to stop the ball going to their goal. Because you know, like it or not. I think over the past five years, five, maybe 10 years, I think even up and down the league, the, the, the recruitment of defenders hasn't been based around can they defend one-on-one first? Are they passionate about not conceding goals? It tended to be about how they look on the ball. Can they play a long ball? You know what I mean? All this type of stuff. And that, to me, is essentially, it's like an add-on. It's not the foundation, but they found somebody with a foundation of actually trying to stop the ball from going into their goal. And he's put it into a system which right now is probably one of the best systems in the world and probably in Premier League history. So, you know, he's, he's made a big difference. But then other things are definitely added to that as well. Yeah. Uh, have you ever have you ever known a City side? Have you ever played in a City side where you know that if you if, if you score, 
you've probably won the game. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? Um, me personally, not quite, not quite. But based on City's sides of years gone by, obviously, to be league winners, you knew they kind of had that. But they weren't necessarily the team who you could say the other team definitely not going to score. But the way they do it now is it's, it's so impressive. They're capable of, anyone can score on the field. And then everybody defends together. But then with that as well, one of the best forms of defense is just keeping the ball. They're one of the best sides for just maintaining possession and frustrating the opposition to the point whereby, you know, they might the opposition, someone might break ranks and before you know it, it's just exploit the space that they've left behind and so on. So they the they're great to watch. Obviously, they'll concede more goals and so on. But teams who are scoring goals at the minute, they seem like they really, really have to earn it because in times gone by when they were hoping for mistakes, those mistakes are few and far between now. And they're just, they're just a great team to watch right now. For a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. That was Neda Manoa. Time now to look ahead to the coming games with West Ham and Wolves. Um, Ash, it's two home games in a row now for City. Um, like we are saying before, though, about kind of like laboratory conditions, I'm not really sure it matters where City are playing at the moment. And on top of that, like it doesn't seem to matter who they're playing because of how they're playing. Yeah, I think so um, as well. Like I think they have just... I don't know. City has been just playing really, really well that I think like the question is just like been like, who is like really going to stop them? And honestly, City, like we're the I think we're the only people that can stop us <laughs> yeah. um, right right now. Like, we're, we can, um, and so like I just and I I see um, like I expect like the run to like keep going like strong like is it going to be easy like throughout like no but the fact that like now like we we have like this home game I think it's just going to be like even um I don't know like I think give me a second I think like they're just going to like it's just going to get like they're just going to get stronger and I just love the fact that they're going to have a couple of home games to like play with as well yeah, it's almost like uh, I mean, like Dan West Ham have been flying this season, absolutely flying. Um, mm. What does a win against them at this stage do to the picture at the top of the table? I mean, because it, I, I, it doesn't really affect City at the moment; they're just winning games anyway. Yeah. Uh, by the way, it's actually four home games in a row. I know we're only talking about West Ham and Wolves at the moment, but it's four home go- games in a row, or five out of the next six are at home. If you if you want to put it like that, so we've got a real run of uh, home games, which I'm not really sure how that's happened. But but yeah, I mean, if if you look at uh, the, the sort of fixtures this weekend, if City beat West Ham in the early kickoff on Saturday, they would go 13 points clear. Leicester then play Arsenal on Sunday in a game where you could potentially see them dropping points. Then United play Chelsea, who are unbeaten under under Thomas Tuchel at the moment, and looking really solid. So if all goes to plan this weekend i was thinking about this earlier i feel like it would be the, the sort of title race equivalent of going three nil up in a match like it feels at the moment we're already two nil up and pretty certain of winning but if you go three nil up it sort of erases all, almost all doubt doesn't it and i say almost because yeah. we all we all know what happened at white hart lane <laughs> in the fa cup that time but yeah i was just <laughs> thinking i was gonna say unless you spurs because it was west ham again wasn't it like they went three nil up against and then uh, oh yeah of course yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so uh, not 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 necessarily an analogy that you want it to be that done but no you know, maybe uh, they, they do say that two nils a dangerous lead maybe three nils even more dangerous who knows um <laughs> That said, though, Ash, well, I mean, like Dan says, going 13 points clear in the early kickoff, what does that do for confidence of not even the players, but just of, of us as fans? Are we going to start to admit that maybe they might be already on the way to winning the league this season, or are we just going to keep playing it cool? 
Um, I think as a city fan who's just seen some typical city over the you know over the past couple of years, I will never ever say that it is ours until it is that final day, <laughs> or until we have been told mathematically the title is yours. Um, but I will say that it is absolutely fun and amazing to like watch like the confidence grow and to like to like see like oh my goodness like we have a really really an amazing chance of like winning this um of winning the title of getting of getting our trophy back um and so like for fans i think it's it's really exciting it's really fun um to like see us playing this way and to like you know it's kind of like that 2017 18 feeling like when we're playing i was like oh my goodness like we're gonna win this game we're gonna win this game like we gotta win this game um, and we do end up winning the game. And like, that's like what we're looking for. We're like, we're looking to see like, like what is it City is going to do in this next game to like combat like this, um, their opponents, like what it like, how are they going to show up? Like, how are they going to break them down? And like, it's just been really, really fun to watch on um, the past couple of games and to like see us like really like go in on this run and hopefully like it takes us all the way to the title. Um, but I'm just like really excited, like as a fan to like, just see how well we're playing. I'm like, oh my goodness, like we will like we can like absolutely win this yeah how how do you think um guardiola's been doing managing the squad ash because obviously we're talking about you know rotation and of whether whether or not they're going to play a striker a bit earlier on in the show um but he's got all these players now that are either back from injury or just coming back from injury and you know he's, he's got a lot of games in the next few weeks it's going to be quite some like very delicate balancing act he has to do isn't it yeah i definitely think so and i've been thinking um about like what he's like he said and like other people have hinted at in the fact that like they're really like every single person like on that squad like has like not just one role that they play right like they have like many different roles so like you can like you would expect like yesterday i think um someone had said it um on twitter that like you would have expected like our main goal threats right to come like from gabby and sterling um up front but in reality like our goal threats are like really everywhere across um across the team and i think like that's like one thing that like guardiola does is that like he doesn't just say to like at least i mean i don't know i'm not i'm not in the back room um with them <laughs> but i feel like he's like named for them like oh like you just don't have like one role in this team like you have multiple roles and like there's some games like where you may not like be playing because like your role right now doesn't fit for this um doesn't fit for this game but it will fit like for the another for another game or so so i feel like it's a lot of him like his man like man man managing skills like or i think it's just strong in the way that like he communicates to player like to players like what their position like what their role like needs to be and i think again like rotation like absolutely needed like we can't win all of these games like we can't compete in all of these competitions like if we don't have rotation um rotation and i think the fact like the players like they know that they understand that um they respect that i think that like even more like um solidifies like just how well like he's able to like manage the squad as well as like all of the different um competitions they're in yeah it's it's the no bad faces thing isn't it dan you know it, you, like don't don't pull your lip out because you've been dropped because you know in in a couple of weeks you'll be needed again mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't. I don't think anyone probably feels like they've been they've been dropped at the moment either. And I think there's been lots of games in this run where City have uh, have kind of killed the game off pretty early and almost like ha had a bit of rest while the game is still going on. And you've not seen Pep making lots of subs in games, which is a bit weird because he was one of the managers who wanted to be allowed to make five subs earlier in the season, didn't he? But he made three against Gladbach, and I think that was probably mainly because he could make five and, and thought he probably should rather than because we really needed to. <laughs> and I, th I saw a few people commenting that the, the last half hour of the Gladbach game had like quite a weird pace to it. 
it. But I feel like after City went 2-0 up, it was more of a case of like, let's just ride this one out and not do anything that might lead to an injury. And hopefully they can just uh, they can just keep chilling in, in, in recent weeks, really. Yeah, uh, injury is a big thing there because it's Wolves in the midweek after that. Um, they haven't looked the same since they uh, they lost Jimenez earlier in the season. My friend who is a Wolves fan, uh, Dan, said that their tactic for games at the moment is kill the game and then go and try and win it. So mm. it might be a little bit of a frustrating one to watch this. Yeah, I think I think there's a case to be made that Wolves are the dullest team in the Premier League at the moment, actually. I find them really boring to watch. Um, they're, un- they're unbeaten in four games at the moment, but they were pretty lucky to, be- to beat Leeds last Friday. Um, they definitely have players who can hurt you, though. I mean, Pedro Neto has been outstanding for them this season. I could I could see him making a big money move somewhere in the summer. Um, Adam Traore's end product is pretty terrible, but his physicality makes him just like a wild card, really. Yeah, Benjamin um, Mendy can attest for that one. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, I, I, think, I think Raul Himmers is back in training now, but I don't think he's quite quite ready to play again yet and they've got um, William Jose who's the guy they signed in January to replace him who isn't too bad either um, I mean I remember going to, to Wolves for the first game of the season at Molyneux and thinking we were we had a really tough game ahead of us and it wasn't the easiest game but I think Pep did a real tactical number on them that night and I'm, I'm, I'm not expecting us to batter them this time around but I, I do I do think we'll win uh, probably quite narrowly Yeah uh, we'll come to predictions shortly Ash um, the, the Premier League record for consecutive wins is, is now jointly held by Liverpool from last season and City's 100 points team in uh, uh, in 2017-18. It stands at 18 wins. Uh, these two games would make it 15 if City can get uh, can get over the line in both of them with the win. Uh, they've got it. Surely they've got to have eyes on getting that record back just for themselves, haven't they? Because it was such a big thing when they broke it in 20 in 2017-18, and then for Liverpool to go and match it last season, it just kind of feels well. We want that back. Oh, absolutely. I think so. I think um, even though they say that uh, they're not focusing on records, they're just looking at the next game. I absolutely think this is one that they're going to want back for themselves, especially knowing how well um, they've been um, they've been playing. So like, I wouldn't be upset like if they're like, oh, we like we want to have this record back. Like it was ours. Now let's like you know and bring it back. Like br- let's make it back blue again. Um, and so I think they absolutely should go for it. Um, there and like they should absolutely like celebrate and like win it and back if we get it back um but i think that um absolutely absolutely i want to see like city at the top yeah. um with that record i don't want it to be joint yeah, held by anyone i want us to be the one that holds it only yeah um dan it's remarkable these sorts of runs were unheard of in uh, in 2017 when city did it and we could have three in four seasons now yeah some might call it the age of the super club wouldn't they and say it's quite a worrying trend but as, as a fan of a super club i say bring it on let's go for the premier league <laughs> record let's go for the world record let's go for the intergalactic record let's do it like i don't care yeah yeah <laughs> Right, well, we had another winner on this week's Charity Bets. It was my 2-0 prediction for the game against Borussia Mönchengladbach. Uh, we're raising money for the Christie, a cancer hospital in Manchester, and we're now up to £820 in total for this season. William Hill is giving each of us a £10 correct score single, and it's West Ham and Wolves to come. Uh, let's start off with the West Ham game. I've gone for a 2-0 win, which is uh, 5-1 to one and £50 if I'm right. Dan, what are you having? I think 2-1. Uh, 2-1 is 7-1 to one and uh, £70 if you're right. Ash, what's your uh, score prediction for this one? I'm having 3-0. Uh, 3-0 is 13-2 to two and uh, £65 if you're right. Uh, that brings us to Wolves. Uh, and uh, Ash, let's start with you. What have you got for this one? 2-0 uh, for that one. 2-0 uh, surprised me that it's only 9-2 to two and £45 pounds if you're right. So it's like 4.5 to 1. So like, I just Honestly, um, that's, that's how odds-on City are to win this game. Um, Dan, what are you having? Like I said, a narrow win, so 1-0 for me. 
Uh, 1-0 is actually better odds, 6-1 to one and £60. Uh, I've gone for 3-1, which is 10-1 to one and £100 if I'm right. Remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change, and please gamble responsibly. To find out more about responsible gambling, have a look at begambleaware.org. We're going to move on now and hear from Howard Hawking. He's talking about why City are well-placed to dominate as we move into the post-pandemic world. seems rather bad timing to suggest that this is City's time, that they have the opportunity to be the absolute best in world football, when just the other night Bayern Munich have put Lazio to the sword 4-1, though with the caveat that some of Lazio's defending resembled that of City around 1998, which has been rather harsh on the City squad of 1998. But as I watch the world continue to crumble, it has become apparent over the past couple of months that my football club has emerged through the dust and rubble in a far better shape than most others. This is nothing to be triumphant about. I'd rather the world had not crumbled in the past year and City were rubbish, truth be told. But I have no sway over that and here we all are. Here we all are as City record victory number 19 and only allow the opposition a chance by passing to them in the last minute out of sheer boredom. And the reason I write these words is that we cannot underestimate the consequences of a global pandemic on world football and on the traditional powerhouses. There are reasons some of them wish to revamp the Champions League to allow participation for historically successful clubs that haven't qualified the normal way, you know, by being good at football and all that, because they know that they no longer can assume success and dominance, and as history has shown, when that happens, the rules must be changed to regain that dominance. So why the optimism of sorts? Maybe that's the wrong word, but key to what the future holds is to evaluate if the current struggles of many of Europe's most powerful clubs are simply a sign of the times or indicative of what is to come. Now let's start with two teams that were not going to seriously rival City for major trophies in the coming years anyway, even if one topped the table earlier this season and has actually reached a Champions League final recently, unlike City. Yet the two teams of North London, because key to City's ascendancy is the fact that ticket money ain't all that to them. I mean, we've never sold out a match after all, so I hear. But for others, it's rather a different matter. Spurs have made a fatal, if unforeseen, mistake in building the world's most expensive stadium and borrowing up to the hilt to do so, just before a pandemic struck. Unlucky and not helped by giving the third biggest wages in world football to a manager, who I'm sure is a busted flush, and it may cost too much to get rid of. A similar situation at the Emirates. Their oil sponsor money won't be enough for them to keep their heads above water. For many years, Arsenal had the highest match day revenue in the world, despite not having the biggest attendances. And now, nothing. Reduced to sacking staff and crying poverty, and with a squad that needs major investment. United, of course, will always have cash, even if they too make a mint on match day. Having the biggest attendance, after all. But for Liverpool, the well is empty. Liverpool's wage bill has rocketed in recent years, and their attempt to furlough staff along Spurs and Arsenal, who even sacked their mascot, is telling. Their success has not brought with it a huge war chest to spend on players. In fact, they may have to sell someone like Salah to reinvest in the squad. I've no doubt that with their existing squad, Liverpool will come back strong next season in the league. And abroad is where I've seen things that made me more than anything pen this piece. We all know Barcelona are skint. Not just skint, they're up to their eyeballs in payday loans and are forced to pawn off the TV in the spare room. Whatever Messi decides to do in the summer, either way the era of him at Barcelona is coming to an end. They spent hundreds of millions of pounds on players who have failed to deliver. 
They couldn't even afford to buy Eric Garcia in January, and they are almost certainly out of the Champions League. Real Madrid are almost as much in debt, but somehow you always expect them to sort some dodgy deal or other to ward off the vultures. The latest rumour is a deal with Saudi Arabia, and there will be more that no doubt UEFA will consider fair market value. But still, this is not their strongest time, even if opposition players continue to get sent off for little reason in Champions League matches. The era of Ronaldo is already over, of course, and they are lagging behind their city rivals in the league. Though you feel a collapse for Atletico Madrid is almost a given in the coming months. In Italy, Juventus went down the route of employing a legendary player, and it's not gone smoothly. A late goal at Porto may save their skin in the Champions League, but their long, long grip on Serie A looks to be coming to an end. And once you no longer rule your league with an iron fist, you no longer have the power to cherry-pick the best players. So as you can see, traditional powers are under huge threat, and they know it. It could be a temporary blip, it could be more. The evidence is that financially most of them cannot buy themselves out of trouble. Most, but not all. Clubs like United, who will always have the cash however much the Glazers leech out the club, can no longer use DNA in history to hoover up the best players. Their names no longer usurp what the new order can bring to the table. Imagine if Leicester City and West Ham end the season in the top four and its ramifications for those that missed out. And we have no idea when normality will return. Chelsea are probably fine too for the future, but for them they still need to grab that top four slot this season to push on next season. Only in Germany will the balance of power stay exactly as it was. Bayern Munich have had their struggles this season and the title is not a given, but deep down we all know they will end the season at the top and their unique brand of public pursuits of players and power to drive prices down will ensure they will remain a threat for many decades to come. As for City, there will be money for reinforcements in the summer. How much is not sure, but more than most. Money in from revenue, not put in by the singular owner, should anyone be in any doubts. A manager tied to a new contract, and whilst the odd club legend or two may depart, and that will cause big problems and a few tears too, much of the remaining squad is young enough to be extremely competitive for many years to come. And just imagine how strong we'll be when the club finally announce a new pickup truck regional partner for South America, which is surely only a matter of time. Now I don't for one minute think City are going to dominate anything, domestically or in Europe. And whilst I always want to see City win everything, I'm not sure deep down I want them to win everything repeatedly, because it will become boring at some point. And, which as, as I said, will never happen anyway. Might as well be Rangers. We all remember the tedious opinion pieces put out at City closing on their fil- first silverware under Pep, about how football is going to be ruined forever, and the same pieces have been wheeled out now before City have won anything this season, all because of a good two-month run. All I'm saying is that they are well placed, and that will do me. But imagine if City do bring in a top striker in the summer and a couple more players on top of what they already have. Imagine a period of domestic dominance and perhaps at last glory in Europe. Imagine the articles being spewed out then from certain journalists and the vitriol on their WhatsApp groups. Just look right now at the increasingly desperate and let's face it futile attempts by rival fans to undermine everything that Pep is currently achieving, and the players of course. How funny is this all? The utter desperation, the tears, all the asterisks, the sudden loss of love for the sport, the state of them all, man-babies, trying to justify to themselves as much as anyone else that City do not matter and their achievements don't either. Drink it in. Hi, this is David Bernstein and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. 
You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. Statcity.co.uk Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium and under every manager. Just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You've made it this far, so don't give up now. That was Howard Hawking, and uh, as ever, we'll finish with some of your questions. Uh, get them sent in on Twitter, at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email them through the website as well. Uh, there's a form on there. Just go to bluemoonpodcast.com. Andy Rag is first up on Twitter. He asks, Pep gave rise for concern over the international break in the last week of March. Our Portuguese and Brazilian players would need a 10-day lockdown thereafter in accordance with government policy. This means Diaz, Cancelo, Bernardo, Edison, Jesus could miss Leicester away and possibly the Champions League quarterfinal first legs. What are your thoughts on City refusing to release the players and what would they think? Um, now, this is one that I tried to get an answer for from uh, from the government and um, it really gave me an insight into the uh, how we've handled the COVID pandemic, Dan, uh, because mm. the first place I went to was I thought, oh, this sounds like a foreign office thing. Uh, so I went to the foreign office and asked their press department what uh, like what the procedure was and they said, oh, no, it's, it, it's something that you need to speak to the Department for Culture, Media and Sport about. Uh, they sent me to the Cabinet Office who uh, then sent me to uh, the Department of Transport, uh, who then sent me to the Home Office, who then sent me back to the Department for Culture, Media and Sport, and then I got an answer. Um, <laughs> so, like, essentially what they said to me is, the policy around the red list countries aims to suppress the risk of COVID variants spreading throughout the UK. On the red list are Argentina, Brazil and Portugal. Um, footballers are not exempt from the 10-day quarantine. So if they go to one of those countries and they and they come back, they have to quarantine for 10 days in a government-approved hotel. Uh, if players can't get the exemptions, well, they can't, that's, that's a matter of fact, uh, FIFA has said that clubs can refuse to release them for international duty. Um, the, the thing that strikes me about all this, Dan, is that it just seems like a, a, a big mess. Like, why are there internationals going ahead at this point? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think I would always feel a bit uncomfortable about the idea of clubs telling the players they can't play for their countries for whatever reason. But in this case, under the circumstances, surely common sense would dictate that they just stay with their clubs and sit this one out. I mean, I know there's the Euros coming up this summer and also the Copper America and they need to prepare for that. But And I know it's also a bit hypocritical to say, you know, international football shouldn't take place, but the Champions League is fine or even the Premier League is fine um, but at least, at least clubs um players at clubs are staying within their bubbles by and large and not mixing with players from all different clubs and all different leagues for a fortnight and you know i had to laugh when that graphic was doing the rounds recently showing um, what city's fixtures w- would look like if they got to the final of every competition and in amongst all that fixture congestion they managed to shoehorn in a two-week international break <laughs> it's just crazy isn't it like, what are they thinking yeah, Ash. If you, if you were if you were you know representing your country at something, and your employer said to you, actually, it's you can't go because we can't then have you working for you know the the, the fortnight after. Um, how would you feel? I think. I mean, given like given the fact that like we are like in COVID, like for me, like me as a person, like I like I personally wouldn't. Um, like I would want to minimize like my ability to like get covered as much as I possibly can. Um, so like if that means like making that sacrifice that I 
wouldn't want to make um, in regards to like my life and the life of others, then like I would rather um, make that sacrifice there. Like it's a hard one. Like I don't know like how the players are feeling um, about it, but like I agree like with Dan, like I would rather minimize that risk um, as much as I possibly can than to like take that, um, than to take that risk and um, not know like what is um, going to happen there, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, we, we can't possibly know, uh, Ash, but what, what would your hunch be? Would you, do you reckon City are going to say, actually, you know, you, you, sh you shouldn't travel to these games? <sighs> uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what they would, what, what they would say. I mean, I think like i mean i think i could see them saying like no like we don't think that you should like travel to these games but i can like also um see them like being like very respectful like of their players and like their wants to like their want to play for their national teams so like this is like one i'm actually like really torn um and like because i can see them going both ways really yeah um, let's uh, let's move on. Uh, Zahirali Namavati emailed in to ask which positions should be strengthened during the summer transfer window and which players should be moved out. Uh, now, Dan, I, like at this stage in the season, I wouldn't normally do a transfer question, um, mm. but it, it kind of it kind of tapped into something at the back of my head where all the way through the season we've been talking about City's need to replace Aguero and bring in a you know a, a superstar striker that sort of thing. We've been talking about City's need for a left back and. You don't want to get into a position where next season they're having the same problems as they had last season, where they were, you know, not able to to keep clean sheets because they had weak areas in the defence and not able to score goals because they didn't have somebody to put the ball in the net. But everything's working out pretty fine at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I would probably sell Mendy, I think his time has come now. I think he's he's had numerous chances to sort of. Mm -hmm impress and it's it's just not happened does it unfortunately for, for for whatever reason for because of injuries or attitude or whatever it's not worked out so i would sell him and buy a new left back and i would also buy a new striker messi harland mbappe don't mind really any of them I thought you meant all three all, all three would be great I, I think i think that might be just a, just a bit out of our budget this this uh, this this summer um if it were up to me, I would give Aguero a new contract, mainly just for sentimental reasons, just because I don't want to see him leave, especially not while we can't go to the games and stuff. And I, and I would probably sell Gabriel Jesus, I'm afraid. I have a feeling that it's more likely Aguero leaves on a free, though, which would be pretty sad. But yeah, that, that would be uh, that'd be my take on it. Yeah, Ash, uh, there's a name that Dan didn't mention there that I'd wondered about. Um, Fernandinho. Uh, Rodri is, is improving mm -hmm. in the centre of midfield, but there's... You know, even though he's, what, 35 now or, you know, going on, what, 78, 79, um, like, <laughs> he, 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 still, he still has a role to play in this squad, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. And I think it was, oh my goodness, I was saying, I think I was saying earlier this week to someone that he, um, all through the years that he's been with us, he's like been one of like our consistent players. Like we know like if we can put um, Ferna on the pitch and he's going to show up, he's going to do what he needs to do. And so like it... Like, I would say, like, if we do, like, give him, like, if we do um, hand him an extension, like, I genuinely wouldn't, I can't see him playing as much, um, as, um, as much really as he's been over the past couple of seasons, or even, I think, I don't even think he's played that much um, this season. He would essentially be a backup um, for Rodri, because, like, Rodri's been really, like, filling into that role. He's getting into it. Um, and I would even say, like, next season, like, we're going to see him even flourish even more in that role. Um, so, like, I... 
like I wouldn't be upset like if we handed him like um like if we handed him an extension but I also like wouldn't be upset like if we didn't hand him that extension but I would want for him to like remain in some capacity um with the club because I think he still has like a lot to give it might not be on the pitch but like where we're currently moving forward with the team um but I would love to like see him like be involved in some um in some ways yeah they've been talking about him in the dressing room and all that sort of stuff and you know I, I think it has been showing as well um finally Steve O'Brien has emailed in to say uh, without saying who I have in mind and therefore loading the question if the season were to end today I'd be hard pressed to choose between two particular team members as to who would be our player of the year I would though say that in my opinion there are five players who should rightfully be included in the debate none of them ones that I would have thought of when the season began although one being because he wasn't even playing for us who would be in your minds worthy of thought and who would you thus far shortlist and then give the nod to Um, so let's, let's have a bit of fun with this one Let's uh, let's have your top three players of the year, and then uh, who kind of who you'd go for. Uh, Dan, I'll start with you. Okay, my top three. I would go Diaz number one, Gundogan number two, Cancelo number three. Okay, uh, Ash, where would you go? I literally have the same order: Diaz, <laughs> Gundogan, Cancelo. Absolutely. Ah, now you say I think Stones should be in the uh, discussion. He's my number four. I would say. Really? Yes. Right. Yeah. Yes, I would put him at number four. Absolutely. Okay, so that's pretty short-lived. I think we've I think we've decided on uh, uh, Ruben Diaz as the player of the year, have we? I don't know, uh, Steve. I don't know. Uh, do do get back in touch and let us know who it was that uh, that that you were thinking of, because I, uh, I I suspect the decision might have been between Diaz and uh, and Cancelo. Um, I I, th- I think. <sighs> Did you both list Gundogan as second? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because uh, I think Gundogan must must be close in that conversation as well, Ash. Oh, absolutely. I think. Uh, like I don't want to use the word like break like I'd hate the term breakout season but like I feel like Gundel right now he's just on another level and honestly like if Diaz like wasn't in the car like if Diaz's name like didn't even exist with City um this season like Gundel for me like would be like top like no questions asked um and like he definitely absolutely deserves to be there the amount of just the way that he has been playing this season, like the fact that he is playing, um, that he is more up the field um, with um, in the attacking, um, attacking there. Like I just think he has just really like helped transform like that midfield. I know like we talked a lot about that like last season, like and how like slow it was. It really didn't like really allow for movement, and we're seeing a lot of that, and it's really coming um, through him. Um, so like he absolutely, absolutely deserves to be up there, and like I would love to like see him win it. But like if he doesn't, like I would love to see Diaz get it. Um, so like either one of those two, um, for me. Yeah, Dan. Um, we we talked about him earlier on. Is if Stones is number four, is Bernardo number five? Yes, he is actually. He's number five on my list, and I would also maybe throw Foden in there as a possible outsider, and then even like you know. Even Rodri or, or maybe even Zinchenko deserve a shout, I think. Um, what I found really strange when I, when I sort of drew up my list was De Bruyne isn't even in the conversation, is he? And maybe, <laughs> maybe there's a bit of recency bias about that because he's been out injured, but um, mm. I don't think he was having like an amazing season before he got injured. And I remember when he got injured, um, sort of putting something on Twitter saying like, I don't think it's going to affect us that much, really. I didn't expect us to win every game without him, to be honest with you. But I kind of knew that he wasn't like as influential as maybe Ruben Diaz is to us now, or maybe even Gundogan is at the moment. So um, 
so yeah, I think I think you would have to say I, I would love a situation whereby um, maybe Gundogan wins PFA Player of the Year and Ruben Diaz wins the Club Player of the Year or something like that or the Football Writers Player of the Year. You know, uh, yeah. share it out a little bit because it's got it's got to go to a City player at this point, right? The the it, it league awards. To. No one else yeah. deserves it. Yeah. I'm looking forward to uh, when when they do the team of the year and it's just City starting eleven. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't see who else gets in there right there. Right. Uh, well, that's it for this week's Blue Moon podcast. Thank you very much for listening, and please go and give the show a rating and a review in all the usual places. Apple Podcasts is a big one if you can. Uh, if you'd like some more to listen to, then you can sign up to our Patreon page. This week we're doing a bad take amnesty for all the things that you said that didn't age particularly well from earlier in the season. Check out patreoncom forward slash podcast for more details on that and if you sign up for any of the tiers then you'll also get the main show each week completely ad free special thanks to my guests this week One Football's Dan Burke thank you and City fan Ash Barker thank you uh, I'll be back next week so I'll see you then take care that was the Blue Moon Podcast Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.